0: Hey Jay, do you know what day it is today? No, what day? It's a Reliant K day. What's that? Well, Reliant K has a song called Sunny with the High of 75. And so every time it's Sunny and the High is 75, I always start singing, because it's Sunny and the High is 75 since you came into my life and made it right. Oh, yeah. So what do we have for everyone today? We have our friend Stephen. Stephen made some mistakes. Fresh out of college and chronicles them to us on how he turned his life around and went from a hundred thousand dollars in debt to not being in any sort of debt whatsoever and living an ideal lifestyle for him and his wife. Welcome
1: to Fire Drill Podcast, where side hustles, savings, and creativity lead to financial independence. With your hosts Gwen from Fiery Millennials
0: and Jay from Millennial Boss. Hey, Stephen. Welcome to Fire Drill Podcast. How's it going?
2: Great. Thank you for having me on.
0: And I couldn't do this without my co-host, Jay. What's up, Jay? Hey, hey. So, Stephen, give us like a quick 90-second background on who you are.
2: Yeah. So, my name is Stephen. i originally from uh, the Midwest. Uh, grew up in Wisconsin, moved to Chicago. My money story really is, uh, unfortunately, a lot of debt, College debt, student loans, credit cards, ended up buying a new car or a nicer, newer car. So $100,000 in debt is what that amounted to. And then from, from $100,000 in debt to zero. So paying that off while I was living in Chicago with my wife. And then eventually, we actually paid off another home. And we are currently living in Miami, Florida today, You know, under the bright blue sky with some sunshine. That's my quick 90-second version of Stephen.
0: Every day in Miami is a real Aunt K day, Jay. <laughs> okay, so talk us through the beginning at college. So you went to college and you took out student loans to go to college, right? Correct. Then what year did you graduate?
2: Uh, so I graduated late 2005, so December 2005.
0: Okay. Talk to us about how like, the economy impacted your decisions on, on how you spent and earn money at
2: that time? So when I came out of college, the economy was fine. I ended up getting a job um, for the most part right away, but it was just anything that I could get my hands on. So I believe I was doing like waiter type stuff and then trying to figure out where I wanted to live. So I was kind of all over the map, right? And I was doing like inbound tele, or I was like a telefund raiser, I guess is what you call it. Or I was raising funds for, I believe it was the Republican Party throw that out there lots of information um, that was really where I stood at least in terms of you know my career at that point. Uh, I didn't get I would say full-time work where I was working a nine to five 40 hour a week job until actually until 2007 so it took me some time to kind of figure things out and get something that I was interested in but that's kind of where I where I started out
0: so when did you first realize that your finances weren't super great and that you needed to do something?
2: You know, somewhere when I first did get my first job, I went so I ended up working at US banking, like a 24 hour banking. And I was making actual money. And as soon as you start making money, you realize what it's gonna go towards. And so it was almost immediately where I knew I knew something wasn't right. I could make the payments. I had a great situation where I was living with uh, what I call my house mom in Wisconsin, and you just kind of knew like things weren't right. While I had very small payments because I was deferring student loans and they weren't or they, I don't think they they start up right away but I guess that would be my my answer. Yes,
0: yeah, so you just had this like vague feeling that things weren't right that, that that wasn't how things were supposed to be. And so what did you do about it?
2: Yeah, so it started off with just really making the minimum, you know, monthly payments on things that I could. I don't think my financial change really happened until until really I I decided to move away from Wisconsin and into Florida. I actually went to go see if a long distance relationship was going to work. What I ended up doing, so I was, from 2007 to 2009, I worked and then I took what minimal savings that I had and I moved down to Florida to see if it would, see everything would work. So I had all the student loans, I had all the, you know, the credit card. I had just purchased a vehicle and I had about maybe a month to three months of savings and when I moved down I went down again with that savings but with no job, with nothing and that's when I realized when everything hit and I didn't really make a move again to like make any big payments cuz I wasn't bringing in much money until I actually moved back to Chicago.
0: Yeah, so I would just like to point out that sometimes taking chances on long distance relationships pays off because that girlfriend turned into your wife, right?
2: That is one hundred percent correct. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> so, after you moved back to Chicago, what did you? What steps did you take to start paying off all that debt?
2: I went back to Chicago or to the Illinois area because I knew things needed to change, and I was able to get a job right away because I wasn't working while I was in Miami—not at least in a full-time capacity. So, I went back to what I knew, which was my college summer job, which is at a golf course. And then within those first, I would say within a month, uh, I was able to get full-time employment again at at a bank uh, or at US bank, but I was able to get full-time employment and I was staying with, was it a family friend or family member, ex-brother-in-law, however do you want to call it? That's when it all started. I finally realized, I sold, I sold the vehicle, but I finally realized that, okay, things are now going to change and I'm going to start to pick things up a little bit. You know, having full-time income is is a huge change. And then once I got that full-time income, I started to balance things out a little bit more and realize, okay, I can make all my payments, not have any concerns, and start to even potentially add a little extra onto those monthly payments. My student loans had kicked in at this point and I was able to at least reduce that car going away. And then I moved in with a, like a shared Craigslist uh, apartment. And that balanced that out again, where it was the car payment went away, but my house payment started to be part of everything. So that's where I guess I transitioned into starting to make the payments, but just making the payments and barely any extra at all.
0: It was around this time that I think you and I first started interacting online And uh, had a lot in common, you know, uh, both of us are from the Midwest and we are both house hacking. So you want to talk about a little bit about your experience uh, house hacking?
2: Yeah. So I moved to Chicago, got married in 2011, and then really everything happened at once. I got married, I got to another job or like an internal transfer. My wife moved up and we were in this apartment for a year. And then after that, for that year that we were in the apartment, We then purchased the house in in 2012, 2013. I looked all over the city of Chicago, literally, or we did. And we ended up buying a foreclosure. uh, It's a multi-unit property. So we ended up living on the top floor. And then we rented out the first floor and what ended up being the garden apartment as well that we fixed up just a short time after that. And that was huge for us. I mean, being able to essentially eliminate... One of the big three, you know, your mortgage or your renter or, or what have you, was another step of really just stepping up our game in terms of being able to pay off different items faster or to accumulate. You know, it increases that gap or the savings rate. And that's where it showed up was with that travel hack, with that Chicago home.
0: Yeah. How did that experience go for you?
2: Uh I would say it was one of the best purchases that I've ever made. And I can call it an investment since it ended up being an investment property. You know, it was huge. It, we bought a foreclosure. We ended up having it fixed up right away. Uh, we ended up getting what's called a 203K loan, which is they kind of add that rehab cost right onto your actual mortgage payment. And then we rented it out as soon as within the first, I believe, three months. So we fixed up. because we did like new kitchen, a few other things. So we rented it out as soon as October. And then with the garden apartment as well, we ended up having that done. So it ended up, I would say it was either equal or greater than the actual mortgage payment and, you know, with utilities and everything. So again, it was just, I don't want to say it wasn't easy, right? But it was, it was such a great purchase for us.
0: Yeah, definitely worthwhile and definitely helped change the trajectory of your finances and allowed you to like pay stuff off early, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It ended up being we, I had already started to make some pretty big headway, but this also really increased it for to be able to have extra money for, I would say, paying off other items. Cuz one thing I should note is that despite having my personal uh, I had my personal debt and what we decided to do was Whatever debt that came into the marriage is what we paid. So my actual salary personally went towards paying off debt, whereas the the house income that paid the mortgage. And we also owned a home in Florida as well. So it ended up being a huge help for us, but in just like in so many different ways.
0: Yeah, that sounds like the optimal house hacking experience, unlike mine because uh, I just did my taxes for 2018 and realized that I spent over $25,000 on the house and I only got $1,800 of income for the entire year off of it. So I think that you're very blessed and you uh, made a really good decision on which house to buy.
2: Yeah, it ended up working out. That's being as humble as possible. Just got lucky, of course. And right place, right time, like all of that stuff. And we had a great realtor. We had like everything fell into place. We felt like we made a really, really good decision.
0: Yeah. What else were you doing in Chicago that helped optimize your finances?
2: Well, one, we only had one vehicle, it was paid off. So we didn't have any payments on that end. In the past, I had reduced, you know, the cell phone plan. So you got the transportation costs that were lower. We have cell phone, you know, we, our grocery store, I would say, was within a mile, mile and a half. So none of that. And we're always trying to eat and have our grocery bill at a lower rate. So those were the really the big things. I even occasionally biked down to Chicago to work, but that was only, uh, you know, during great weather and what have you. Uh,
0: So basically like three days out of the year.
2: (laughs) Yeah, maybe a couple more, but it was fun. It wakes you up in the morning. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I have since started biking to work now that I've lived in D.C. for a while and I noticed the days that I take the metro to work, I get there and I was like, oh, I'm dragging. But the days that I get there after a bike ride, I'm just like, I am ready. I am awake. Let's go. I imagine that Chicago drivers aren't particularly friendly to cyclists and DC drivers are sometimes outright hostile. So you have to be very, very careful when you're riding. And that makes you very awake, very, very fast.
2: Yeah, you always have to pay attention always.
0: So it wasn't just, you know, house hacking. It wasn't just moving up. It was a combination of all of those things that allowed you to pay off that $100,000 in personal debt and then the $200,000 in mortgage debt for both the property in Chicago and the house that you kept in Florida, right?
2: Yeah, close. So definitely the personal debt. And then the way we ended up doing it was we ended up taking all of the money that we received from our rental income in Chicago and placing it towards the Miami house. So we took the money and we paid Florida-like regular with our regular payment. We paid our Chicago regular with payment, and then we took any rental income and then we added it onto Florida.
0: So why did you decide to move from Chicago to Miami again?
2: Again, right? Family. My wife has her whole family down here. She had been itching to get back since uh, pretty much day one, but uh, you know, not avoiding those Chicago winters, which believe you, that you're both pretty uh, familiar with in terms of having cold and snow and what have you. But it was They're brutal. Yeah, it really is. And the is wind. hundred percent. But yeah, so it was a family decision. We we're in a great financial position and we had the opportunity to be able to be in a good spot again and everything kind of fell into place. And we moved down with it pretty recently, actually, in August of 2018.
0: And how's it been in, in Miami so far?
2: The weather has been great. I, um, I, <laughs> my dog is also making it so we take our morning walks. It's been great in a really great position, really great uh, situation as well. Other than, you know, it being hot, but it's like, it's all relative at this point.
0: So now that you quit your job in Chicago, what are you doing in Miami? Like, how did you, how did you make that work financially?
2: Yeah, so we did a couple of things. So one of the main things that that we were able to do is my wife was able to work remotely. So she still has her full time nine to five income from the company in Chicago. And then me personally, I currently don't have full time work, but I am branching out into starting my own business. And we're using that as um, you know, eventually it's going to build up or what have you. But that's how we're moving forward with our income.
0: That's how you're swinging it financially.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we, again, we have low cost, very low cost, especially with the mortgage going away. uh, Well, not going away after paying it off. So we're only paying, you know, just your really your minimal costs. So we don't have the mortgage, a mortgage payment. We don't have a car payment and everything from there is just, it's again, low cost and we have, you know, money coming in at a good rate. So it all has been very positive.
0: What is your advice for somebody looking to do something similar?
2: To so like starting your own business, you're saying?
0: I don't know if they've got a lot of debt and they want to emulate what you did. What is your advice? Like, what are what are some things that you learned along the way that could potentially help somebody else in that position grow to where you're at?
2: Well, the first thing is having full time employment. You know, when you're starting out, having that nine to five or what have you, so you have some sort of income coming in, and then from there, really taking it step-by-step or brick-by-brick, you know, terminology that I use. And it's just getting to a point where you're really in a good position. So once you have that income, you can, if you have debt, for example, you can either take your current income and apply that to all your debt payments. Or uh, one of the things that I did was I had a side hustle. I was doing eBay stuff where I increased my income just a little bit more so I can make those big debt payments on my student loans and other other debt that I have. So my biggest advice is to figure out, to track your expenses, budget, and then take those, that extra payments and really stretch out as much as you can. So kind of give that big goal, have a big goal moving forward and to go after it.
1: Were there any hard times when you're paying off debt where other people were pushing back on you or they didn't get what you were doing?
2: Yeah, I don't think I had a ton of I would say negative feedback or that maybe they thought I was a little crazy on some of the stuff with you know when I was looking for a cell phone plan I was like hey I'm gonna pay this amount up front rather than you know like buying your phone up front rather than doing it on a monthly basis. The only thing that I got a little that was I would say they were a little critical of is like the radical things. You know I I at one point with the cell phone plan that I had, I had a plan that was $5 a month and ended up being $15 a month. So there was some pushback on the radical part of it and other people looking at it in the through the lens of, I can't do this, or this isn't for me. And that I had to be really careful because sometimes I would be like, why not? You know, Why don't you do this this way? So if anything, that's where I got pushback, whether it was from you know work colleagues or friends. That was the only real pushback I got in terms of paying off debt and having to be a little extra, a little radical, I guess. Well, what,
1: what do you mean though? Because when you tell, maybe I'm speaking through the file lines, but when you tell me five to $15, I'm like, tell me which, which pro- like provider and please do tell us all which provider offers that where people like, why wouldn't people be interested in that? I don't get it.
2: I, I wish I had a, like a good answer. Cause I agree. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, I try to tell people, Hey, this is what I have, but it's all like what you choose. Right? So I go through my cell phone provider, Republic Wireless. And, you know, we had to test it out, too, because not everyone's willing to, like, jump ship on whatever they have. So if you have, you know, Verizon or Google uh, Y or Google Fi or, you know, T-Mobile, all these other ones, not everyone's comfortable with making changes. I think that's where it comes from. You know, maybe they're locked into payment plans or what have you. So while I totally agree with you, I don't have a good answer in terms of of the actual question.
0: Yeah. I had a coworker in my guard base look at me funny when I mentioned how much I was saving in my 401k and other tax advantages accounts. He's like, what salary are you making? So I told him and he goes, Oh, if I had your salary, I could have the sweetest car ever. Why are you wasting it all by saving it? Why don't you go out and get a car? And I'm like, "I, I don't, I don't, think we have the same definition for wasting. (laughs) So I mean, people are going to have different priorities. And it doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong. It just means that we value different things sometimes. And it can be viewed as a personal attack on your values. Like I was very careful to never mention how crazy I thought he was because he would literally subside off of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for two weeks to get a car part and put it on his car you know what? He really loves his car. And if that's what makes him happy, then who am I to judge?
1: Completely agree. And I love it is a values based thing. And people get hesitant to telegraph their values. Actually, even in the five community, we do because sometimes when you go to a fire meetup, people are afraid to say what they do spend money on. So everyone just kind of acts like they're perfect, and they don't spend that much money until they break down. They're like, Oh, yeah, I actually like I bought a new car last year, or I did this, I did that. And I think it's what you said, where it's like you're communicating to other people what you actually value and you're being afraid that you're going to get judgment from everyone else. But that doesn't happen at these events. But I do. Do you
0: notice that, Gwen, sometimes? Yeah, I think it can be a tendency to be like, you know, shun the, oh, I just put my kid in private school or, you know, I have a newer car and it can be almost a race to the opposite. Like, oh, yeah, I have a iPhone 4S. Or, you know, my car is 14 years old and has 200,000 miles on it. You know, it's like kind of the opposite sometimes.
1: Yeah. Reverse bragging, I would say, like whose car yeah. is the worst. Kind yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What's your take, Stephen?
2: So I'm a big values based person. That's actually what I talk about. It's what I teach and what I coach and what I, I almost say preach. So totally agree. I mean, like I know my values. I ask people what their values are and For me, it's my wife and her happiness. It's travel and being able to do other things like that. And it's health and fitness. So I make sure that I spend, or we, yeah, I spend the majority of my money or like the focused area on those things. I like to say as well that I don't have a a boat or, you know, a jet ski or something else like that. But I do take nice vacations or go different places. And it goes to what, you know, what you're talking about, Jay. And that's really just value-based spending and finding out what matters to you. Whereas, yeah, you're right. I, I, I don't have, uh, let me see, it's 2019. So yeah, I do have a 12-year-old vehicle or we have a 12-year-old vehicle. But like, I don't care about cars that much. So I don't spend, we don't spend money on that. And it just goes back to values again. So 100% agree. Hard not to.
0: Yeah. And like we know people in the fire community that have old cars and boats they take out on the lake because they live by a lake and they get a lot of enjoyment out of it and they consider it a worthwhile cost. None of us are wrong. We just have different things that we spend money on. Like for me, I would never go on a cruise, but I do like to go take trips to places like Australia or England or, you know, other places across the oceans. So it's all about what you want to spend money on and saving for that lifestyle, right?
1: Yeah, and I think when you're paying off debt or you're in the middle of like a sprint versus the marathon, that can be fine. You may be a little bit more intense and not showcasing your value spending as much depending on how fast you want to pay it off. So I know the way that my husband and I lived when we were paying off our debt, that was very different than the way we live now. And I'm completely okay with that. Did you have a different pace and would your lifestyle look different between now, Stephen, and when you're paying off the debt?
2: Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, you know, you're, you're purchasing different items. I don't think our lifestyle changed too much. You know, less trips to the to the Home Depot now, or at least I think there are less trips. And uh, you know, in terms of what you're spending money on, I don't think the lifestyle had like a huge change, but it definitely had some impact as us paying off debt versus you know not paying off debt. I don't think it changes a ton, but enough that you know maybe not you and your maybe wouldn't notice on the outside from an onlooker. But from the inside, you definitely know different changes in terms of some of those money that you're spending.
1: So let's switch to be a little more forward looking. Stephen, what are your and your wife's goals for financial independence? And what does that look like for you?
2: Yeah, I'd like to say that we've reached our own level of financial freedom. And of course, that definition is different for, for everyone. But for us, it really means that we have such low expenses and we do have income coming in. So what we're looking to do is over the next, I would say, three years, we're really trying to figure out our ideal lifestyle and really apply not only our, our money to that, but our savings as well. But also, we the way we anticipate it, uh, the way we have it calculated out is if we keep up with our you know same savings rate over the next three years, that we'll be in a position where, you know, it again, it'll be work optional or it'll be financially independent at that point based on the numbers that we look at.
1: And what numbers are those, if you don't mind sharing?
2: Yeah. So what we're looking at, you know, it's your, I say it's your typical 4% rule. So we're looking to, if we're spending $40,000, we're looking to have 25 times that. So we're looking to have a million dollars and in our portfolio based on growth and everything. So that's really where the Money and the plan is coming from, and just getting it as close to that where we both feel comfortable and we both have a, a clear understanding where we are going with that. Uh, part of that also is just figuring out. I use you know the forty thousand dollars, but this year is actually a big year for us to figure out exactly what we are spending through the exact amounts, and some things are going away. Basically, the numbers have changed, so to get really good numbers and data for this year will be important as well. We of course have a pretty good idea of it. But you know, until those numbers are like, uh, actually spent, or the dollars are actually spent, that's when we'll know for sure.
0: I think it's really, really valuable to get that experience of being five before you actually go financially independent. And so that way you can like, it's kind of like a trial run, right? So you can see what your spending looks like, and if you need to adjust anything, and you still have like time and income to do that.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And I mean, it already is just figuring out our expenses and how we're going to spend money in the future. If, for example, we want to take a trip this year and we take six trips or 12 trips, knowing how much that is going to impact our expenses and then just, you know, really normalizing it or making that part of our everyday or every year or what have you, just part of our regular spending and figuring out the exact dollar amounts. And it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a challenge like anything else, but so far so good as we slowly ride into 2019.
1: In terms of the different phi lovers that you can pull, like travel rewards is one of them, and maybe like side hustling. What would you say are your top ones for you guys right now?
2: Right now, it's our income only. Our income coming in, and then just the frugal and the low cost of living, because we have gotten rid of so many of the big expenses that there's really not as big of an impact for other items. We don't specifically use travel rewards. I would say like I do have, or we do have a travel rewards credit card. We also have another credit card, but it's not like specific where that's how we're we're taking all these trips and that's how we keep our, our costs low. It's part of it, but just it's such a small part for us.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And I think depending on people's goals, some people will really get into the travel rewards circuit and they'll go on these amazing adventures. And and for everyone, you know how much that plays a role in their life is different.
0: Gwen, do you use travel rewards often? Not often, but I, I would say I'm on the light end of travel rewards. But I do have some points from previous credit cards that have opened up that I've just kind of been hoarding. Typically, what I find is I buy flights with points for last minute flights that would cost me like a thousand plus dollars. And I just use points and it's like, oh, I got to take a flight at the last minute. Great. This is great. I love it. I'm not worried about optimization or, you know, like opening credit cards and transferring over the rewards to get the optimal point per dollar. I don't care that much. I just like, oh, this is handy. I don't have to pay thousand dollars for a flight tomorrow. Great. Done.
1: Speaking of big trips, why don't you tell us about your upcoming Colorado trip?
0: Oh, yeah, I'm super excited. So now I can say something about it. I got notification that there was going to be the premiere of the Playing with Fire doc in Longmont, Colorado at the MMM headquarters. So I will be there April 12th through the 14th. I'm really excited to hang out with a bunch of Colorado people. I know some other bloggers are flying in. And so uh, I think it's just going to be a really fun weekend just to hang out and talk about financial independence and drink some good drinks and have fun with my friends.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And we had Taylor, who was the star of a documentary, along with her husband, Scott. We had her on the podcast last summer, so we can link to that in the show notes. But they're an amazing couple. And a lot of the people who've been on this podcast were featured in the documentary. And we're really excited to support them when it goes live.
2: It's like a, what a crazy world we live in, like all of that stuff. Like with Gwen going, the fact that you guys know, and we know people that are actually in the documentary, just a lot of that is just crazy to me, like the crazy world we live in.
0: And I think it's really cool too. Some of the benefits that have happened from the documentary being filmed. I think every person that worked on the documentary got really inspired to take charge of their finances. And I think that they said collectively just while they were filming that they had paid off over a hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt.
1: Oh yeah. Like the crew, the film, like, and- like the crew,
0: like the people who were behind the cameras and the sound guys were just like so inspired by what they were filming that they went out and took charge of their own finances. It will totally be the ripple effect.
1: I think what will be cool to see in the finished documentary, it does the documentary make sense for people who are not currently already aware of what financial independence is. That's what I'm excited about. Cause I think that would be a huge, it can be a huge wave of momentum if it can be written for someone that has never heard of this, but they find it interesting and it's like a curiosity starter. And it goes viral. That'd be kind of cool.
0: Yeah. So Steven, here I have a question for you. Do you think financial independence is something that everybody can achieve?
2: Wow, that's like that's such a way to end question.
0: on a controversial topic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, loaded question, but it's a good one. I think everyone can. I think they have the, the ability to, you know, just based on numbers alone, but I would say it, it will not happen. You know, if people, people are, again, it's like really it's, you know, you're afraid of change. A lot of people aren't willing to make that change, aren't willing to either increase their income or decrease their spending. And because of that, it's not going to be able to achieve financial independence at an early age that's where I see things, you know, we're, we're a community that's, it's a small community who believes that we can do things that are great. And not everyone believes those same things. And that's okay. But it's also a realization that not everyone's going to make, you know, that big change. And so that's, that's my, that's my short answer. That's my, that's also, yeah, that's my short answer, I guess.
1: So my answer is no. Not everyone can achieve financial independence like we are talking about in this episode today. We try to provide gradients of what financial independence can mean for everyone. And maybe for some people who their their hole that they're digging themselves out of is just a lot bigger than other people's. I think for them, maybe it's just like financial security is really what it is. But when we're saying financial independence, like, oh, I don't have to work again for the rest of my life, I don't think that's possible for everyone. And the reason is that for people who are in really bad financial situations like it's not a choice for a lot of people like 60% of bankruptcies are because of medical debt so it's kind of hard to like talk to someone in that situation and be like oh yeah you can retire early like just work harder like that's just not going to happen for a lot of people but it doesn't mean that anyone should give up on improving their personal and financial well-being and security and perhaps for them financial independence will will look a little different and it'll be more of like peace of mind, knowing that they're always going to be okay and have roof over their head. And if any further medical issues come up for them, they'd be able to pay for them. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. I don't, I don't think like as much as, you know, this is a podcast and I want to be super like, yeah, rah, rah, like everyone can do this. I don't actually think
0: it's possible. That's my take. So I'll chime in here. with my own opinion. Jay, I agree with you that I don't think it is possible for some people. And for some people, financial independence is going to look like they don't have any debt. They're going to be able to retire at the traditional retirement age, and they're going to have a comfortable retirement because sometimes people just come into the information that they need a little bit too late, or they have extenuating circumstances like health issues or a lifestyle that they can't really change. And so to them, the information that we provided is going to help them live a stable life that won't end in poverty but if you get to people early enough and when they're still flexible and they're thinking then yeah i think financial independence could be a definite possibility so on that super depressing note (laughs) jay do you want to do the final two
1: sure sure yeah i mean it's i'll just add this it's it's depressing but it's also kind of it's bittersweet because the message is not like Give up. The message is like, keep fighting and you can reach and improve your life in a small way. And for every single person, that is going to be different and you are in control. And hopefully you're in control of deciding what that means for you. So yes, like it's a little bit of a downer, but I just want to be clear. Like it's not like we're ending it on like a big downer. Like it's, it's like a little (laughs) downer, right? Like a small one. A little bit. All right. Well, anyways, the final I like the inspiration that you offered, Jay. Yes, I'm trying to offer inspiration, but also be real talk, because we all know if someone's like, you can retire at age 35, everyone can do it. I did. It's like, ha, ha, ha. No. Um, (laughs) But also, I mean, at this point, not everyone wants to. I think, Gwen, I don't know how you feel, but after like 200 episodes of this podcast, what I thought financial independence meant like two years ago, it doesn't actually mean that. And it's it's a very fluid thing. And it's basically just... Everyone can just choose what they want to do with their life. And that is what it is.
0: I feel like we should have a whole nother episode on that. Like how you and I have changed our views on financial independence since becoming bloggers and podcasters.
1: Right. Totally. Because I mean, the truth is I started like, oh yeah, I want to be just like my, some of my our friends now who retired at 34 years old. And now I'm 30. I just turned 30, guys. Woof. <laughs> happy belated birthday. <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, and I don't want to stop working four years from now. You know, I love working. Like Gwen, we we just recorded an episode on Etsy, which will launch launch next week. And you know that I'm already thinking in the back of my mind right now, like, oh, how can I go do this and do that? And I have a lot of dreams that involve work and achievement. And there's just no, like, there's just no way. That's not going to be my story by choice. So I've really expanded my view and everyone we brought on has introduced a new way of pursuing fire to me. So I've, I've been a little more flexible in my definition. Totally. Yeah. Um, And okay, we said we'll save that for another episode, so I won't go into it now. So we'll go into the final two. Steven, please tell us if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, what are the different ways that they can?
2: Yeah, pretty easy. I'm at evenstevenmoney.com. And every social media that's available with evenstevenmoney.com or evenstevenmoney should be me. (laughs) Double check me on that. Um, But yeah, what is it? Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, all of it. Um uh, probably more active on I would say on Facebook, but yeah, even Stephen Money, definitely check it out. Even opened up the comments <laughs> like yesterday for more people to interact and to talk and chat and really open up the conversation as well.
0: Awesome. Okay. So I'm really excited to hear this answer. If you could have anything in the world, what is your wildest dream?
2: What? <laughs> wow. Yeah, um,
0: anything go crazy.
2: Uh, so I can have anything in the world.
0: You can have anything in the world. You can do anything in the world. You can have any skill. You, it's like the impossible could be possible. Whatever your wildest dream is. Let's hear it.
2: Yeah. So it would be to own a professional sports franchise. I'll list off a couple that currently aren't available. Um, owning the Cubs, owning the Bucks those are like the two, but I'd like, I'd accept and be really happy with like a minor league, summer league baseball team. Just having all of that, you get the access and just get to be part of something. Like you get to build something or build upon something that's already there. So mine would be to own a professional sports franchise.
0: You would pick the Cubs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a few billion, right?
0: what's a few billion between friends it's fine just a couple b's just a couple b's yeah no big deal uh uh, yeah yeah i don't have any of you got any billions over there jay not at all well can't help you there but i think that would be a really awesome dream except for the whole pirate about the cubs thing go cardinals i'm just gonna
1: say go patriots to make people mad go pats (laughs) (laughs) and we'll end it on that bye everyone (laughs) All right. Thanks, Stephen, for coming on the show today.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Go to our website, firedrillpodcast.com
0: to continue the discussion and get the link to our private Facebook group. If you like us, leave us a review on iTunes. If you're like me, you have no idea how to do that. So in the podcast app or in iTunes, search for Fire Drill Podcast, find it, click the reviews tab and write something to make my mother proud of me. We read every single review and want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for making this podcast possible.